I'm Kate Daniels. There isn't much in life that can be more challenging than losing a child. We're going to meet Laura and Todd Crooks, who through their heartbreak at the death of their oldest son, Chad, have become advocates for mental health education and care, all being done through their nonprofit organization, Chad's Legacy. I'm so grateful to have them here to share their story with us. Laura and Todd Crooks, good morning, and thank you so, so greatly for being with us this morning. Thank you. I just have to say right off that I have such deep respect for both of you, that you are so brave in my estimation, I think, in terms of most people, and that you are also so dedicated to doing something really good and important in the world in terms of changing lives, making a difference. And I don't think that any of us could ask of ourselves to do more, but we don't necessarily, but both of you are. So to really give the history here, give the story, this is all about your wonderful, delightful son, Chad. Tell us a little bit about that so we can really get a perspective of Chad and his life. Yeah. So Chad was our oldest son. We have four kids and he was this really sweet, super smart, creative guy from the very beginning who loved the Blue Angels and his Auntie Shelly was from here. He went to aviation high school and wanted to get a degree in engineering and work for NASA. He dreamed of creating alternative systems for flight, for fuel for space flight, thinking about using black holes to tow a ship through space faster than the speed of light and those sorts of things. Just a really sweet, creative kid who got this really awful disease that took him. Kate, he was always thinking, it seemed like he had a theory for just about everything from the book of Genesis to how spaceflight could and should work to even what a spirit is made up of as far as complex energy particles. And you could talk to him about any subject, and he had a pretty clear plan as to what that was all about. I wish I'd known him. He sounds like this amazing young man. And seeing the videos, and people can see this online. We should mention right now, there is a website where people could see more about Chad. That's right. It's www.chadslegacy.org. And not just about Chad, but about mental illness in general. Yes, exactly. And that's where you both, I feel, are so brave and dedicated because you've taken what truly is such a tragedy, such a loss, and are doing something about it. Because here's the sad fact in our society, even here in 2017, how little we really do and what we still think about mental illness. It's a tragedy that this stigma exists. Yeah. So Chad went away to college um, to Montana State and was having some difficulties focusing and such and came home and had a mental break and a first episode psychosis when he was home with us. And I work at Seattle Children's Hospital. I'm a senior director there. I have access to really good health care. I know people in health care. And so when this happened, I called the psychiatry department and said, Brian, tell me what to do. And 
we took Chad to the hospital, and his story is in the video, so people can go and see that. But even with those resources that I have that maybe a lot of people don't have, Chad still fell through the cracks, and there were still so many things that happened to him in his really short journey with mental illness. So Chad got diagnosed in April of 2015, and in January of 2016, he died by suicide when he felt like schizophrenia was taking over his brain and that he was losing hope and that he was losing the thing that drove him the most, which was his ability to be creative and be smart. And he felt like that was slipping away from him. And when he did research, there was no good answers for him, and he felt like he lost hope. And in his note that he left for us before he died, he said, and I have a tattoo on my arm that says, I love you, Chad. And he said that he had lost hope. He knew that we loved him, and he knew that we knew he loved us. And that was not enough. It was really this terrible disease of mental illness that took him. And the fact that he could not have hope, this smart kid, that he could fall through the cracks when he has a family who has resources to health care, and that anybody should be able to get the care that they need so that this never happens to another family and so that there's not another person who loses hope with mental illness. That's really what we need to do. And you've talked a couple times about us being brave. We don't feel brave at all, at all. I almost feel like the early stages of Chad's Legacy Project was almost kind of a shiny object for me because it was a way for me to focus on doing something. And we're both fixers by nature. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of almost a reflex to identify what happened and move forward to try to fix it so that I didn't have enough time to just kind of wallow on the couch because we're very grateful for all of the words of praise for us being so brave and so strong, but I really almost looked at it as, uh, at least in the beginning, avoidance because it's the sitting on the couch and thinking about it every moment and just falling into that pit that scares the heck out of me. And as a parent with somebody who is struggling like that, to go through and try to navigate the system of care, even access to care, it is you go through a range of emotions. You go through fear. You go through frustration. And there's a lot of anxiety involved because it's really hard to see a positive track in care. And so we looked at the system and found that there were a lot of pieces that weren't plugged into the puzzle. And so it was very easy to concentrate on those things. So for us, it was more of a kind of a natural reflex to just get out and, and start doing stuff. And I feel like, at least for myself, I'm healthier for it. Mm -hmm. Because if I didn't do it, I, I really fear where I'd be at this point without that work. And I would say one thing that we know is the stigma of mental illness for all of us, because one in four people are affected by mental illness. 
at any given time. And we know that that stigma prevents people from getting help. And a part of it is because we don't talk about it. We don't treat it like other illnesses. People talk about heart disease. They talk about their diabetes. They talk about cancer. We don't talk about mental illness as a disease and as an illness, which it is, that that prevents people from getting care. And if we can't speak up about it and we can't talk about what happened to us, who will? And if we want people to talk about it and we want people to get help, we have to stand up and be that place and that voice that can make it so that others can do the same and they can get help as well. And it still feels like there's still some kernel of courage inside. Yeah. And <laughs> yes, there is. Yeah. You know, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're saying, I appreciate that, Todd, that you think it saved you. Otherwise, who knows what would be going on in sure. your life if you were not moving forward. Sure. But in this moving forward and what you are doing is creating this much healthier place, I trust, creating a path so others can follow and expand upon that. Yes. And in fact, when we mentioned the website, that's what you're doing with Chad's Legacy, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. So we have on the website resources for people. We talk about our mission. So Washington is, according to a lot of studies, ranked 47th in the nation for mental health. And that is measured around access to care and suicide rates, the ability to quickly get care, and uh, the resources that are available. So Washington, a wonderful state that's very socially progressive, is 47th. I was astounded to yeah. that. And we would like to move Washington from 47th to the top. We should be at the top. And there are many different things that will move us in that direction. And on the website, we have some of those things, things like the ability to provide education around mental illness, especially for high schoolers, improve the access to care. And then if mental illness is a disease, which it is, we can find cures for it and appropriate treatments. And so those are the things that we're really focused on to make a difference for people so that this doesn't happen to anybody else. Absolutely. Too many lives lost. And at this young age, yeah. and isn't uh, the statistics are that it is a leading cause of death yes. for young people. The second leading cause of death for people 12 to 24. Second leading cause of death. And only a percentage of the people that are really suffering. So not everybody dies by suicide because of mental illness. Mm -hmm. For those that are suffering, there are a lot of different directions that someone could go. And with, with the improvements of especially early psychosis care that is showing real promising results, Chad died by suicide. And there are a lot of people working very hard on suicide prevention and working at that crisis moment. But we always talk about the fact that we are also working on suicide prevention, but way upstream. And one of the things that we identified first was this whole idea of stigma to mental illness. And so often when we hear the word stigma or we talk about something that is born out of ignorance, we think about it as political correctness. But when we're talking about stigma for mental illness, we're talking about a life and death subject because 
imagine if you had an infection and it wasn't going away. In fact, it was getting worse and eventually you couldn't move your arm. But you grew up believing that if you get an infection, it's because either you weren't careful or you weren't strong enough to get over it yourself and you just need to refocus, pull yourself up, and that infection's going to go away. It's not going to go away. And with mental illness, a teen grows up thinking, man, that kid is weird or that kid is completely crazy. And we all hear that growing up. So we all get the stigma built into ourselves before any symptom arrives. So if I was to start hearing voices as a 16, 17-year-old, you think I'm going to reach out to ask for help? Because what it means is I'm imagining a bunch of stuff and I need to just kind of go to my room and figure it out and get over this thing. Mental illness is a disease. It's not a weakness. And the first thing that needs to happen is people have to realize that so that they can reach out for help. Granted, that's another piece that needs to be fixed. But if we do a lot of things at a lot of different ends of the spectrum at the same time, really exciting stuff can happen. So the education piece we see as a means of cutting stigma off at the knees generationally so that as these youth grow up, they can begin to help their adults. My kids teach me a lot. And so we've chosen mental health education curriculum as a really important weapon. And we're driving towards having the legislature mandate mental health literacy standards. The curriculum is out there. It's available. And it's inexpensive, if not free, through the Office of the Superintendent of Public Instruction to execute in districts, and a lot of schools are. So the curriculum is available elsewhere in the country, is what you're saying? Well, the curriculum is available as an established program in Canada, and OSPI here in Washington has adapted that to Washington State. It's getting traction elsewhere in the country, but this is one of those things, like Laura said, where Washington has an opportunity to become a leader in the nation. And we're already starting to see progress. Uh, There are schools all over the state that are adopting this. But imagine if another necessary curriculum was available in some schools and not in others. Youth are clamoring for this curriculum. They're clamoring to know what is going on. But if you had, say, a writing class that was a prerequisite to many other classes from high school to college and beyond, and it was being taught in some classes, but not in other schools. You have an inequity there where some students have access to stuff that's going to advance them much farther, and other students don't have access to that. They never learn it, and they never advance farther. Mental health education is the same. We have to make sure every school is teaching to this. So, A, Every student is armed with the knowledge that they need because of the overwhelming challenges that we're facing right now, but also so that there is an equity involved in not having some communities lost and continuing to wallow. And the biggest reason why this is so important is because stigma is directly tied to 
survival, on the average, it takes from the onset of a symptom to actual care, on average, it takes eight to 10 years. And that is solely, I believe, because of stigma. You don't reach out, you try to get over it, it never happens, and then all of a sudden, you've developed a disease that has progressed to what might equate to stage four cancer. And that was happening actually already with Chad. Yes. Yes. Very quickly. And we know now in looking back, he had challenges in high school that we didn't know that this was what it was. You know, he went off to college. We knew he struggled when he was in college. He had seen a cardiologist because he felt like he was having heart problems. And we know now that that was part of his disease. We didn't know that that's what it was. And we're a family who talks a lot, who likes to be together. We are very close. We have a large extended family. And Chad couldn't say anything to anybody. His friends, you know, he did talk a little with his friends, and but they didn't know what to do. And it really, in the video I saw that, he said he came home finally one day and said, can we talk privately? Yeah. So that day he had been at work. And he came home from work and said, Mom, can I talk privately with you? And so we went in the bedroom, and he told me that he had been hearing voices and seeing things, and they were following him on the top of buildings, and that he was scared. And in a family where we are very close and talk, the fact that he wanted to go in the bedroom so that no one could hear that he was telling me that, and that it got to that point before he could say anything to me, It was painful as a mother. And the fact that my child was suffering and I didn't know, that was really hard. And the fact that I couldn't fix it for him, you know, because as parents, we just want to grab our kids. And I remember at one point in his disease, just wanting to pick him up and run, you know, take him away from all of this. And I couldn't do that. And that, that was really hard. So we called the crisis clinic because we didn't know what to do. And I'm in healthcare and I don't know what to do, right? And I don't think any of us know what to do when something like that might come up or even when you're talking about depression or anxiety beyond schizophrenia and we don't know what to do and we need to be able to figure that out and talk about it and get the resources for people. Kate, we're not here because when Chad was with us, we did an excellent job and knew everything that needed to happen and knew how to talk to him and support him because some of those things are frankly counterintuitive. We're here because there are a lot of things that we've learned since then. And I think it's important to be honest about that because so often we get steeped in shame and guilt and then nothing happens as a result. And there are some things that are excruciatingly painful when we allow ourselves to look back and realize what could have been. But all we can do is look forward and say, look, we're just like everybody else. We made mistakes that we recognize. The system made mistakes that, frankly, they also recognize too. They want to make this better. We have to work with them on bold ideas to make that happen. And I think 
one of the reasons why folks listen to us in the healthcare community. Number one, because Laura speaks that language, which is a completely different language, but also we're willing to work with them to try to say, this was our experience. This is what we did. If we would have done this then, Chad might still be here. And sometimes framing it that way has been the most powerful tool to motivate some of the professionals that we've met and become friends with. Yeah, after we lost Chad, started talking to people. And when we started telling our story, people wanted to talk to us. And we learned that there are so many things that are happening out there that are really wonderful things, but nobody talks to each other and they're not connected. And you have to know somebody to get in. You have to know the right words. And in the video, I talk about the first time that we took Chad to the hospital and about how I had to coach him to tell them that he was going to kill himself or else they wouldn't keep him. And I knew he needed to be hospitalized in order to be safe and in order to get the care that he needed. And that you have to have those magic words in order to get in because of the limitations in access to care that we have here in our state. It shouldn't be that people need to know all of those things. It should be just like when you go to the doctor and they go, oh my gosh, you have a lump. We know where to send you and we know what to do. We need to do that with mental illness. We teach reproductive health and we teach CPR in high school and we don't teach about mental illness and mental health and yet so many more people are affected and we know about first aid and there is a mental health first aid curriculum and we haven't made that widely available so there are so many things that we can do that will make things so much better some of them seemingly pretty simple education in high schools getting the mental health first aid curriculum out there and then fixing the systems issues, having more people who go into mental health as a profession, having access to care, the use of technology to support people who have mental illness, all of those things we can fix and we will. And it takes everyone really working on that. And we will fix it. And we will move Washington State. We're not interested in merely identifying problems. To me, that seems really tedious. There are a lot of things that can be done, and we would prefer to work to get those things done. And I can tell you, it doesn't feel like it on the ground right now, but in the next few months, there are things that are going to be tweaked and enhanced, and it's just going to start escalating from there. Things are happening right now, right now under the surface that are going to start transforming the system where parents all of a sudden won't feel this sense of helplessness because there will be this program of mental health first aid that I wish I would have taken two years ago. And there will be protocols for first episode psychosis. There will be better workforce development within first responders and social workers to identify you know, true crisis points. There is so much happening right now that folks can't see, but they're going to be able to see it in just a few months. It's really exciting. And maybe we'll actually get a bit of a preview of that. I think it's important for us. I'm sure people listening will feel like, well, what can I do? Yeah. And they have an opportunity coming up here really soon, right? Yes, they do. So we have two things that are happening 
The first is Unmask the Night. It's a gala that we have at Eden down in Soto here in Seattle. And it's a masquerade ball. It's our second annual fundraiser. The funds all go towards these ideas, towards the summit, which I'll talk about in a second, and towards the ideas, the big and bold. We've challenged people to say we want big and bold ideas that will change what's happening in mental health. So it's called Unmask the Night, Revealing the Face of Mental Illness. It's a masquerade ball, and we have small auction that happens in a Raise the Paddle event. There are games there that are things like Knocking Down Mental Illness, which is a game where you roll the ball down and you knock out the cans that have different mental illness on it. And there will be jazz and music and the auction. And then at one point, we have a video with a surprise guest and everyone takes off their masks. And it could be any of us in the room. And you don't know who that is. And yet it affects all of us. And it's meant to be fun. It's meant to raise funds for mental health and mental illness and supporting these big and bold ideas. But it's also meant to be this place of gathering where we all can come together and recognize this is happening and it's happening to all of us. And if it's not us, it's someone we know. And in our first Unmask the Night, we were able to fund the summit that's coming up. So we have a first ever summit for the state of Washington, bringing together payers, providers, government officials, and educators to come up with ideas that are big and bold to change what's happening in Washington so that this doesn't happen to another family, so that another person doesn't lose hope like Chad, and so that no other parents lose another child. And we have five initiatives. There is mental health education, peer and family support, because we know that the time that somebody with mental illness spends in the hospital with their provider is only a short part of their life. The major part of their life is with their family and their friends and others around them. So how can we support them in helping that person? Use of technology, things like Pillsy has this pill bottle, this top on a pill bottle that sends messages that says you haven't taken your pills today or can contact a family or a provider to say, hey, they're not taking their medications. Those are use of games to help, you know, game somebody out of their psychosis even. So use of technology. There's workforce of the future and first episode psychosis. First episode psychosis. So when somebody first has a break, having a pathway. So Right now, if you have symptoms of a stroke, there is a clear pathway that happens. In the first few minutes, you do this. In the first hour, this happens. In the first 12 hours, these images happen and this kind of medication. So we know that with strokes and with heart attacks, and that is going to happen with first episode psychosis. So that if somebody is showing symptoms, we know this is the first thing that you do. These are the first steps. Then here is the next And here's the next support system that needs to be put in the place. This is the next kind of treatment that they need. And having a clear pathway so that nobody falls through the cracks. It's so logical. (laughs) It is. Yes. And it's taken this long. And it's taken you, your love, your dedication, your keeping Chad right at the forefront. So he's still with us and really the one championing that others don't have to suffer. 
There's one particular link on the website on the resource page that deals with the mental health first aid program. And if somebody really wanted to help their immediate community, they can take that training, which is an eight-hour course, but oftentimes free. And they can hit that link, find out where the next class is, whether they want to take a youth course or an adult course. And probably right now, the biggest way they can help is to take that training so that they're armed with skills we didn't have at the time that could be absolutely life-saving. And this very critically important website is? www.chadslegacy.org. And that's where all this excellent, important information is found. Yes. Laura and Todd, I am just really so grateful for your passion and for just, you know, moving forward. You know that it was life-saving for you, but it's now you won't know the lives that you will save and the difference you'll make in people's lives. So thank you. Thank you. If we can make sure that this never happens to anyone else, that will keep us going. Yep. And we can all do this together. Thank you.